There's going to be a collateral effect that happens with your family, with your spouse, with people at your work, in your church, and in your community. Because you're the one that's going to be setting the tone, you're setting the benchmark, you're setting the standard for what excellence is. Welcome to Fuel for Life, a creative podcast with content that will fuel your faith, hosted by Bogdan Kipko. If you are looking to live a life with contagious passion, incredible clarity, and significant meaning, then prepare to join the Fuel for Life nation. And now, here's your host, Bogdan Kipko. Well, hello, Fuel for Life nation. Welcome to the 57th episode of the Fuel for Life podcast. I'm excited to dive into this podcast. I believe it's going to bring you incredible value. So in this podcast, I decided to take the top five books that have changed my life and share one quote that really stood out to me from each book. And I'm going to read you the quote. I also, I'm going to comment on the quote. And I've heard it said that Your life doesn't change from reading an entire book, but rather a sentence in that book. And I truly believe that because sometimes it's enough for you to read one sentence to have your world rocked and changed forever. So let's dive into this episode entitled Five Quotes from Books That Changed My Life Forever. Number one, the Bible. I want to share with you my favorite passage from scripture. It's written in Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter three, verses 20 and 21. And it goes like this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I want to tell you two quick reasons why I love these verses and why they have profoundly changed my life forever. Number one, I don't believe in limitations. What do I mean by that? I don't believe that some people were born and destined for greatness while others were born simply to exist. I believe that God had a dream and then he wrapped a human around that dream. So essentially you are God's dream. You are exactly what God wanted to create. You are God's masterpiece, which means that God is able to do far more in your life than you could ever imagine. And I truly believe that the greatest danger for most followers of Jesus is not doing too many bad things, but rather not doing enough good things. And what I've observed personally is that unfortunately, most Christians are cautiously avoiding sin rather than courageously doing God's will. So these verses teach me about the fact that We don't have limitations. God in Christ can do far more than we ever ask or imagine. This is my life verse. I I, I live by it. It is the banner under which I function. And the second thing I wanted to comment about this verse is that I reject mediocrity. The default mode of your life will always be complacency if you lack urgency. What do I mean by that? Well, it takes zero effort to have a bad marriage, 
to have bad relationships, to have bad work ethic, to have a bad discipline, a bad diet, to have bad habits. It takes no effort for those things to happen in your life. Even if you don't do anything, all those things will happen in your life by default. You simply don't drift into them if you don't deliberately make a change in your life. And so this is my life philosophy. If God gave me life, he, if he allowed me to wake up another day, uh, to live another uh, a day, then I will reject complacency and mediocrity at all costs. I will embrace urgency and consistency. And I'm going to resolve to do this daily. Winston Churchill said that the definition of success is moving from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. And I truly believe that. And maybe I'm wired this way, or maybe I've trained and disciplined myself this way, but I recoil from failure very quickly. The leadership team at my church and the people that know me very well know a phrase I like to say, and that's called fail fast. I don't have time to cry over spilled milk. I don't have time to think about what could have been. We fail fast and we move forward with urgency. And here's what I try to do. I try to learn the lesson. I try to learn from other people's failures instead of my own. I repent or ask for forgiveness and I move on to the next challenge or task without losing any speed. Here's what I believe. I would much rather at the end of my life be spent fully, poured myself out for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of other people in my life, instead of being on my deathbed wishing or hoping that I would do more for the sake of Christ. So here's what I believe. If you do both of these things in your life, okay, if you don't believe in limitations, and if you reject mediocrity, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a collateral effect that happens with your family, with your spouse, with people at your work, in your church, and in your community, because you're the one that's going to be setting the tone, you're setting the benchmark, you're setting the standard for what excellence is. This is exactly what Paul said. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so I believe this is a life well lived. That's the first book that I wanted to mention, the Bible, and how it impacted me and my favorite verse. The second quote that I want to share with you comes from a book called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. And this is why, honestly, anything you read by Tim Keller is going to be incredible. So I read this book early on in our marriage, and this is my favorite quote from it. If we look to our spouse to fill up our tanks in a way that only God can do, we are demanding an impossibility. So I love how Tim Keller phrases that. And when you think about weddings, when you think about marriages, when you're giving your wedding vows, when you're saying the things that you're promising or you're, you're making a covenant with your, with your future wife, it's not a, a, a promise of what you're going to do right now. It's a promise of future love. It's a promise of things that you're going to do for your spouse the entire time that you're with them. So when, when you stand up and you're getting married and you're standing up before God, before your family, um, before the state, you promise to be a loving, 
faithful. You're, you're promising to be a, a person who is true to the other person, regardless of your internal feelings or external circumstances. So basically in a marriage, my joy and my happiness is not dependent on my spouse's performance for me. My joy, my happiness, my sense of self-worth and who I am comes from Jesus and what he did for me instead of my spouse and what she can or cannot do for me. When that's the case, my tank is full to dispense love and acceptance and grace to my spouse with patience and with love. And here's the thing. If I'm able to do that, I'm able to withstand coaching and criticism without being crushed and I'm able to hear encouragement or complaints without getting a big head. Because again, I don't look to my spouse to deliver to me something only Jesus can. And by the way, if you're looking for some sort of a devotional to read, and if you're listening to this and you are married or you're maybe hoping to get married, I highly recommend you getting uh, Tim Keller's daily devotionals on the Psalms called Songs of Jesus. My wife and I read it throughout the entire year last year, and I, this is the resource that I recommend all the couples that I counsel who are uh, getting ready to get married. So if you pick it up today, um, and in general, if you read anything and everything written by Tim Keller, you'll probably never have to listen to the Fuel for Life podcast again. The third book that I want to mention to you that has uh, shaped and impacted my life is uh, Dangerous Calling by Paul David Tripp. And here's the quote that really, really resonated with me and that impacted me greatly. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to yourself more than you do. And let me explain what he means by this. And I, and I believe this is what he means. I read the entire book. You are constantly preaching to yourself some kind of a gospel, a gospel that either says you are self-sustaining, you are in control, or that God is all sustaining and God is in control. So you either preach to yourself an anti-gospel that says, you know, you're unable to do things you're alone or that you are with God and God you can do all things through Christ who uh, strengthens you and so what you and I have we have an identity problem it doesn't matter whether you're in ministry you're a lead pastor or if even if you're not in ministry it doesn't matter we all have an identity problem and our identity problem is this is that either we have an identity that we seek vertically which comes from God or we have an identity that we seek horizontally, which either comes from people or from our accomplishments or experiences in our life. And so what the author in this book does, he's like a skilled surgeon taking you through a very painful surgery, but then it leads you through this pain to a healing because you're actually going through a very keen self-awareness. And one of the other things that he mentions in the book is that he says that bad things happen when maturity is more defined by knowing than it is by being. So who you are becoming is more important than what you are doing. And I believe that success in any area of your life should be measured by faithfulness. How faithful are you to the task that God has placed uh, before you? 
And I believe that only when we are supremely grateful for Jesus Christ who suffered for us are we able to rightly and correctly suffer in any other area of our life. When we become broken in the face of our own personal sin, can we give grace to other people because we see how much God has personally saved us. And I believe that only when your identity is firmly rooted in Christ, you're free from seeking your identity from your ministry or your activity. So, that's the third book that profoundly changed my life and the way I look at ministry and my relationship with Jesus. The fourth book that has really changed me is The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. This is a classic, and I think that if you Google it, you can probably download the PDF and read it for free. And here's the quote that profoundly impacted me. God's kingdom will never come where his name is not considered holy. Think about that for a minute. How we understand the person and the character of God will affect every aspect of our life. I've heard it said before that the first thing you think about when you think about God is the most important thing to you in relation to God. And I think that what we think about God and if we think of him as holy or not affects far more than our religious aspects of our lives, such as going to church or reading the Bible. What we think about God and how much we think of his holiness is actually going to impact your marriage, your friendships, your relationships, how you're going to look at money, how you're going to look at finances, how you do pretty much everything in your life. And so what this means is that we must understand the holiness of God, hence the whole title of the book. And if you think about the word holy, the primary meaning is separate, right? It comes from an ancient word that means to cut or to separate. And so to translate this into a contemporary language, it would mean you can use a phrase that says a cut apart or a cut above, for example. Um, and what that means is that if you find a garment or another piece of clothing that is, for example, outstanding, or you go to a restaurant that's great, or you get great service, or something else happens in your life that is exemplary or superior or excellent, you're most likely going to say, you know what, that's a cut above. That is different from everything else that I've noticed. Well, this is exactly what the word holy means. It means it's a cut above the rest. And if you remember, when uh, Jesus was uh, teaching the disciples how to pray the Lord's Prayer, we know that he said, how, how should you pray? He, he started out the prayer the following way. He said, our Father, who art thou in heaven? And then he follows up with the following words. He says, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, what does that mean? We often think that... Um, hallowed be your name was some sort of an a, a part of an, a, an address but that's not how Jesus used this particular phrase he uttered it as a petition so essentially what he's saying is that uh, God may your name be holy may everyone who knows you um, regard you as holy the Bible talks about God's name is holy 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 three times to the maximum degree and so God's kingdom or his shalom will never come where his name is not holy, where his name is not held as a name above all other names, a cut above, far superior than everything else. 
And so his will is not going to be done on earth is if, if his name is desecrated here. And this is what I believe that it's foolish for us to think that we can experience shalom or peace in our homes, in our families, in our churches, in our communities where God's holy name is not revered. So this is the fourth book that profoundly impacted me and my view of God. And the fifth and final book that impacted me is um, written by an author that I'm not necessarily sure if they followed Jesus or not. However, everything in the book pretty much sounded very, very excellent, very things that you can you can take and, and apply to your life. And I've heard it said that all truth is God's truth. So the fifth book that I want to mention today is it's called Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. And it's funny because... Every time I recommend this book to my friends, like I call one of my guy friends and I'm like, hey, you need to pick up this book. And they're like, sure, we'd love to read it. What is it called? I'm like, well, it's called Ego is the, Ego is the Enemy. And most of them are like, uh, gee, thank you so much for this suggestion. <laughs> is this a subtle hint? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Everybody has an ego. Just admit it and read this book and you'll be better off from it. So here's the, um, the quote that changed my life that I read from this book. Um, the author said this, ego is the enemy of what you want and of what you have, okay? And he basically says that ego is the enemy of all these things, of mastering a craft, of real creative insight, of working well with others, of building loyalty and support, of longevity, of repeating and retaining your own success. What most likely you personally want the number one reason you're not experiencing your life is because of your ego. It's painful to hear, but at the same time, it hurts, but it helps and it heals. And so the author uses a, uh, a definition of ego. He says it's an unhealthy belief in our own importance. Think about that. An unhealthy belief of our own importance. He calls it arrogance. It's self-centered ambition. Um, it, it's He says it's this petulant child living inside every person, the one that chooses getting his way over anything or, or over anyone else or anything else. And so it's this desire inside of you that you want to be better than, more than, recognized for, far past any reasonable utility. That's ego. It's the sense of the superiority and certainty that exceeds the bounds of confidence and talent. And here's the problem. Ego is that voice that says to you, I want it now and I will stop at nothing to get it. And if you've experienced yourself having this kind of voice, it probably means that you have an ego and most likely you do. So what's the Christian definition of ego? It's simple. It's pride. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 11, 2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is why Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every other name. And so ego is pride and here's what ego does because it kind of hides itself it morphs itself into good things but it's actually poisonous things pride takes a minor accomplishment and makes you feel like it was a major one pride smiles at our cleverness and at our genius as though we've exhibited something that is of a hint 
of what's to come. That's what pride does. That's what ego does. And so pride and ego does this. It says, you know what? I'm successful because I did it on my own. I'm going to win because I'm first. I'm ahead of everybody else. I'm an, a, a very successful author because I wrote something. Um, I'm rich because I made some money. I'm special because I was chosen. I'm important because I think I should be. So you might be wondering, okay, well, what's the antidote? Well, the antidote is simple. It's Jesus. And how does that practically play out in your life? Well, be killing pride or pride will be killing you. It's constantly looking to Jesus and to his example of humility. And a personal note is the following. Surround yourself with people who are willing to speak the truth in love to you and show you who you really are and so that they don't so that you won't take yourself too seriously. I love the quote that my wife and I always my wife and I always use is that my wife is supportive of me but she's not impressed by me. You have to surround yourself with people who will honestly give you a great, accurate assessment of who you really are. Self-assessment is the antidote. And I can't think of a better self-assessment than reading the Bible because that's the mirror. You can see yourself for who you really are. So go pick up that book, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. You will absolutely love it. So these are the five books that I mentioned today and the quotes that really helped me out. So I hope that this was beneficial for you. All right, Fuel for Life Nation, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And I want to tell you once again that the greatest compliment and encouragement I could ever receive is if you would share this podcast with your friends and family on social media. And remember, if you want to get to places you've never been before, you need to begin doing the things you've never done before. I believe in you. Go out there and be amazing for the glory of God and for the joy of the people in your life. Are you a millennial who desires to go further faster? For the first time, Bogdan is opening up his entire personal journal and giving you exactly what he wished he had when he entered his 20s. Check out The Millennial Mentor, a brand new online video course created by Bogdan. For more information about the course, go to kipco.net and click on Mentor. Mentor.